Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Oakville, Washington. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Eric and Jamie Joe Hiles were high school sweethearts, and they were the kind that lasted. They started dating when they were only 16 years old and knew within two weeks that they'd both found their person. They got married four years later when they were just 20 years old. But when you know, you know. As a newly married couple, the two went to college and both started their dream careers as high school teachers. They both loved kids, so it's no surprise that they wanted a family of their own. Frankly, they wanted an entire basketball team of children, but they tried and tried to get pregnant and nothing worked. Infertility is a kind of heartache that I don't think you can describe unless you've experienced it. But after years of trying, Eric and Jamie Joe were emotionally exhausted and decided to put their plans of having a family on hold. To their surprise, though, at the end of July 2017, Jamie Joe got a text from a former student asking if she and Eric would be willing to foster a seven-month-old baby girl named Oakley. The student explained to Jamie Jo that Oakley and her siblings had recently been placed into foster care after drugs had been found in their parents' home. The student personally knew one of Oakley's grandparents and was trying to make sure the baby went to a great home. The former student was more than positive that the Hiles would love little Oakley as if she were their own. According to NW News, Eric and Jamie Joe didn't hesitate for a second when they agreed to take Oakley in, in part because they were under the impression that they might be able to eventually adopt her. The Hiles were overjoyed to be able to finally bring a child into their home and couldn't wait to shower her with all of the love in the world. Oakley Lynn Carlson was born on December 6, 2016, to her mother, Jordan Bowers, and her father, Andrew Carlson. Law and Crime reported that Jordan and Andrew each had one child from a previous relationship. Andrew had a daughter and Jordan had a son. After Jordan and Andrew got together, they had three children of their own. Their first, a daughter who was born in 2015, we'll call her Abby. Then came Oakley a year later in 2016, and lastly, a son who we'll call Aaron. And that was three years after that in 2019. That brings their total number of children to five. It's unclear what Jordan did for a living since she was often unemployed. However, we do know that Andrew was a former police officer. In 2012, he graduated the Basic Academy and became an officer with the Aberdeen Police Department. According to court documents, five years later, in February of 2017, Andrew was caught making false-slash-misleading statements and his peace officer certification was revoked. After losing his job on the police force, Andrew, just like his girlfriend Jordan, would often have bouts of unemployment. At some point, according to court documents, Andrew and Jordan started using drugs, namely methamphetamine. In July of 2017, just five months after Andrew lost his job, he and Jordan's children were removed from their custody after drugs were found in the home. The three children they had together, Abby, Oakley, and Aaron, were put into foster care, while the older two stayed with their remaining biological parents. That adds up to zero children now in their care. 
On September 22nd, 2017, 10-month-old Oakley Carlson officially went to stay with Eric and Jamie Joe Hiles. She wound up staying with them for more than two years until she was almost three years old. During that period, the Hiles became Oakley's parents. Jamie Jo was her mom and Eric was her dad. Jamie Jo told Paramount Plus's Never Seen Again, It felt like kismet, like we were meant to be a family together. They loved watching their little baby girl grow into the sweetest, most loving toddler. While it feels like it's impossible to summarize exactly who someone is in just a few paragraphs, Jamie Jo did it perfectly on the website Justice for Oakley, saying, Oakley was someone who did not know a stranger. She always had a smile on her face and she was kind. She loved to make people laugh, so when she knew how to make you smile, she would always remember that and try to do it again. She liked to tell jokes and would often follow up a joke with Waka Waka, just like Fozzie Bear from The Muppets. For being only almost three years old, she was incredibly smart. She spoke in almost complete sentences, demonstrated empathy, and questioned things that did not make sense to her. My favorite example of this is when she first watched the movie Wally, and Oakley realized that Wally was lonely and did not have friends. Tears welled up in her eyes, and she asked why he did not have any friends. She then rejoiced when Eve showed up later in the movie, and suddenly Wally was not lonely anymore. Oakley loved to dance, and it was quite frequently that we would have dance parties in the living room for her to groove to. She admired my dance team and would always ask for me to play their songs from practice so that she too could dance like them. I bet you we have played Barbara Ann by the Beach Boys at least 1,000 times. Oakley also loved to read and be read too. It was never just one book at a time, but at least four or sometimes five. It was not uncommon to find her asleep in her bed with books as well, or all around her in the morning. Her favorite books included Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See, I've Loved You Since Forever, Night Night Little Pookie, and I Love You Blanky. She continues on saying, Lastly, Oakley loved to show you that she loved you. I have countless photos of her hugging my family and friends, and she always made sure to tell you that she loved you. She loved to hug, snuggle, and just touch you. Many times we would be on the couch together, her little foot would be touching my side just because she wanted to be touching me. Her love radiated out of her and she always let it show. Oakley was the biggest blessing to my husband, our families, and our friends. Many times, Eric and I would ask each other how we got so lucky having her because she was so happy all the time and she was just an all-around good kid. When you see the photos and videos of Oakley, that's genuinely how she was with us all the time. Just happy, polite, and loved. It goes without saying that Jamie Jo and Eric undoubtedly loved Oakley like she was their own biological child. And Oakley loved them back. She called them mom and dad. And if you watch the videos of the Hiles family interacting or look at photos, you would never guess that they weren't blood related. On the website Justice for Oakley, there are countless pictures of them together, like one of Oakley and her cute little pigtails sitting on Eric's shoulder and one with Jamie Jo and Oakley smiling at the beach. There's a video of Oakley so excited excited about her Mary Poppins Halloween costume, umbrella and all, and another where Oakley walks in the house so 
excited to give her mama a rock she found. When Oakley got to the top of the stairs, Jamie Jo thanked her baby doodle for the present. They were the perfect family. By July of 2018, the Hiles were so in love with their baby girl that a plan was put in place for them to officially adopt her. It was the best thing for Oakley since her biological parents, Andrew and Jordan, weren't in a place to get their children back. It wasn't safe for Oakley or her siblings to be with Andrew and Jordan for anything other than supervised visits. According to Justice for Oakley, Andrew had recently been booked for assault after he attacked Jordan. Ultimately, he was ordered by the court to undergo a domestic violence evaluation and successfully complete a domestic violence treatment program. If Andrew was able to do those things, the assault charges would be dismissed. It seemed like the judge was trying to give him a second chance, and at first, Andrew followed the judge's orders, but quickly fell off. We'll come back around to that in just a minute. On March 7, 2019, roughly nine months after a plan was put in place for the Hiles to adopt Oakley, she had a two-hour supervised visit with Andrew and Jordan. When Oakley came home to the Hiles, she had red marks slash scratches on her cheeks. There are actually photos of these marks, and they're pretty significant. They didn't break the skin, but you'd have to scratch pretty hard to leave marks like the ones that she came home with. I'm trying to find a way to convey what they look like over a podcast, and I'll post the photo in her case highlight on Instagram, but if Oakley walked past you on the street, you would have noticed the scratches on her face. Jamie Jo asked the visit supervisor, Brenda, what happened, but Brenda said that she didn't know where the marks came from. Justice for Oakley reports that Jamie Jo then emailed Oakley's DCYF, Department of Children, Youth, and Families, caseworker Angela, about the marks on Oakley's cheeks. The following day, Angela responded to Jamie Jo's email with, I'm on vacation next week. We can schedule the health and safety for the first week I'm back. She didn't mention anything about the red marks, and according to Light the Way Advocacy Group, no cause for the red marks was ever determined. Two months later, on May 13th of 2019, the domestic violence treatment program Andrew was enrolled in wrote a letter to DCYF to notify them of Andrew's failure to attend group sessions. And he didn't just miss one, he'd missed them for the last six weeks. Because of that, he was discharged from the program, and since he didn't hold up his end of the bargain, the prosecuting attorney asked that the judge find Andrew guilty. A series of follow-up hearings in the case were scheduled for July through September. According to Justice for Oakley, in July of 2019, the same month those follow-up hearings were supposed to be scheduled because he didn't complete the domestic violence treatment program, the Hiles were notified that Oakley was most likely going back to her biological parents in the near future. Let's reiterate that Andrew couldn't even be bothered to attend the domestic violence treatment program gifted to him in order to get his assault charge dismissed. And within one single month of being kicked out of that program and the prosecuting attorney asking the judge to find him guilty, there were plans being made for Oakley to return to Andrew and Jordan's care. Jamie, Joe, and Eric were rightfully devastated because for the last year, they had been under the impression that they were going to adopt Oakley. Now they had to return her to her quote-unquote parents? 
According to court documents, there were concerns that both Andrew and Jordan were still using drugs in the home. But for whatever reason, DCYF thought it was okay to send Oakley back there. It didn't make any sense, and the Hiles were terrified for the future of their baby girl. For two months, the Hiles didn't hear anything else from DCYF. Then, in September of 2019, for reasons unknown, the assault charges against Andrew were dropped even though he did not complete the program. That same month, Oakley's supervised visits with her parents increased. About a month later, on October 11th, the Hiles had a meeting at the DCYF office with Angela and her supervisor, Catherine. It was to discuss their concerns about returning Oakley to her biological parents so quickly. According to the Justice for Oakley website, the Hiles were told she isn't your daughter. When they asked about neither biological parent being employed, they were told being poor isn't a reason for someone to not have their children. Once again, it felt like the Hiles' very valid concerns about Oakley were being dismissed. Eight days later, on October 19th, Oakley had her first unsupervised visit with Jordan and Andrew. A week later, she had another visit, and that time, she came home and told the Hiles something that validated every concern they had. Oakley told them that she had seen Jordan hit Andrew. At that point, there was now an account of each biological parent being violent toward the other. There's actually a video of Oakley recounting what happened, and she described Andrew as being mean like Rar, and that Jordan pushed him really hard. She acted it out as she said it, and of course, I'll post the video of her relaying all of this in her highlight so that you can watch it yourself. According to Justice for Oakley, after hearing Oakley say this, Jamie Jo emailed caseworker Angela and was told there are no concerns and that Oakley loved her mom and dad. Let's be really clear here, though. Jordan and Andrew may have been Oakley's biological parents, but they were in no way her mom and dad. And regardless of a child reportedly loving someone, it will never justify that child having to witness them be violent towards one another. Less than two weeks later, on November 6th, a month before Oakley's third birthday, Jamie Jo emailed Angela and her supervisor, Catherine, to say that she'd heard overnight visits were about to start in a few days. Jamie Jo was naturally concerned since the domestic violence incident between Jordan and Andrew had happened so recently. She also shared her concern that things were moving way too quickly. Angela responded by letting Jamie Jo know that Oakley would be reunifying with her body biological parents even earlier than expected. Earlier. Sooner. Faster. With all of this going on, they were speeding up the process of removing this almost three-year-old girl from the only mom and dad she had ever known and putting her back into the care of the man who was booted from the police department, who was charged with assaulting his wife and whose wife, according to Oakley, had assaulted him in front of her. Angela gave her a new date of November 29th. That was only 23 days later. Jamie, Joe, and Eric had been raising Oakley for the past 26 months, and they were only given a 23-day notice that their baby girl would be going back to her biological parents where violence and drug use were still very real concerns. 
Saying they were speeding things up would be a massive understatement. Just three days after getting that news, on November 9th, Oakley had her first overnight visit at Jordan and Andrew's home. Justice for Oakley reports that on November 17th, Eric emailed caseworker Angela and supervisor Catherine to ask about Oakley's transition to her biological parents. He reiterated their concerns that the transition was happening so quickly, and he wanted to know why the transition date had been moved up so abruptly. Angela and Catherine never responded to Eric. On November 29th, a week before Oakley's third birthday, she was officially reunited with Jordan and Andrew. They were living in the middle of a massive 300-acre property near Oakville, Washington. Their other children were also allowed to return home, and I use that term loosely. When I tell you that this house was in the middle of absolutely nowhere, there are no words to convey that enough. I had to pinch the map several times just to zoom out enough to find another home, And of course, I'll add a photo of the property to her highlight so that you can see it for yourself. The Hiles spoke with Never Seen Again about what it was like to let their baby go, and their answer was that it was absolutely heartbreaking. Even before Oakley left on the 29th, Jamie, Joe, and Eric spent hours upon hours just crying. Of course, Oakley had no idea why, because she didn't quite understand what was going on. Eric said, I could feel my heart breaking. We knew this would be the last time we saw her because we knew her parents wouldn't let her see us. After Oakley left, the Hiles shut Oakley's bedroom door and didn't open it for six to seven months. Eric said, we had this hole that was just left in us. I think we really grieved as if it were a death. The Hiles were right in their assumption that Oakley wouldn't be allowed to see them. Jamie, Joe, and Eric didn't push the matter, but they didn't turn a blind eye either. In order to make sure Oakley was safe, they kind of kept tabs on Jordan and Andrew. If they were employed, if they were using drugs, if Oakley was being abused, and other things like that. Months later, in July of 2020, a custody hearing not related to Oakley was held. Documents from that hearing show that Jordan and Andrew had not completed their court-ordered services, and Jordan was not honest in her account of reporting domestic violence. In addition, it was brought up that CPS expressed concern about Jordan and Andrew meeting the needs of their daughter, Abby, Oakley's older sister, by one year. We don't know exactly what was going on with Abby medically, but we do know that authorities have said that medication is necessary for Abby's health and going without it puts her at risk of physical impairment, which could eventually result in death. I think it's safe to assume that she had a pretty serious health condition that required attentive parents. When discussing their concerns about Jordan and Andrew's inability to care for Abby, CPS specifically noted that they had failed to take Abby to an appointment at Marybridge Hospital, even though they'd been given a gas card to make sure they could make it. Despite all of this information, Jordan and Andrew were once again allowed to maintain custody of their children. On December 25th of 2020, four-year-old Oakley spent Christmas with her biological family at the home of her paternal grandparents, Fred and Kate Carlson. King 5 News reported that Kate later told police that Oakley didn't look well, that she had dark circles under her eyes, pale skin, and scratches or sores on her face. 
Kate actually called CPS after seeing Oakley, but never heard anything about it after that time. Apparently calling CPS made quote unquote great waves within the family and Andrew and Jordan cut off contact with Kate and Fred and they never saw Oakley again. On January 26, 2021, Jamie Jo called DCYF to report her many, many concerns. One being that a friend of hers had forwarded her a picture taken by Grandma Kate during that Christmas trip. The photo showed Oakley with a possible black eye. She also mentioned hearing rumors that Andrew was fired from his job for drug use and said she was worried for Oakley's safety. According to the Justice for Oakley website, the intake worker spoke very sternly to Jamie Jo and let her know that since she didn't witness any incidents firsthand, he'd have to presume that her information was inaccurate. In fact, the site says that he told her she could get in trouble for making false reports. Jamie Jo told him that as a teacher, a mandated reporter, he needed to take her concerns seriously. The next day, January 27th, DCYF opened a case and a caseworker went to check on Oakley and her siblings. No one knows exactly what happened during that visit, but we do know that the caseworker was able to make contact with Oakley. On February 10th, CPS went out to the home again, and again, no one knows exactly what happened during the visit, but let it be known that this was the second visit by CPS in 14 days. According to the sheriff's office, that visit was the last credible sighting of Oakley. On March 24th, 2021, DCYF called Jamie Joe and asked if she had seen Oakley or her sister. And you've got to be fucking kidding me at this point. She shares all of her concerns with them over and over and it never seems to matter. And when no one can seem to find Oakley, they call her. The woman who wanted nothing more than for Oakley to be her forever child. Jamie Jo told them that she had not seen Oakley as she wasn't involved with the family. It's not like Jordan and Andrew were calling her for visitation. DCYF didn't tell her why they were calling, so she was just left to wonder what was going on with her baby girl. Within a few days, for reasons unknown, DCYF closed their case on four-year-old Oakley Carlson. Justice for Oakley reports that seven months later at 4.54 p.m. on November 6th, a month before Oakley's fifth birthday, Andrew called dispatch to report a fire on the second floor of the family home. Andrew said that the fire started around 10 a.m. that morning, almost seven hours earlier. He blamed the fire on Oakley, saying that she'd used a cigarette lighter to light the couch on fire. Andrew told dispatch that he didn't need any firefighters to respond because he'd already put the fire out. He just wanted to make a report for insurance purposes. According to a GoFundMe, and I quote, After evacuating their three children and puppy who were home, a puppy is the last thing these people need, Jordan and Andrew fought the fire themselves for hours. The house was completely dark with smoke and neither of them could locate their cell phones to call for help. And there were no close neighbors, so they grabbed hoses and attempted to save their home. No one was injured, but they lost the majority of their belongings in this fire. Any funds will go to replace the items they lost and to cover restoration of their upstairs. They have 
four children and one chihuahua puppy. So we started with three children in the beginning of this, then went up to four children. And I would love to know whether or not either of their phones suffered any damage in the fire and whether or not they showed any activity between 10 a.m. when Andrew said the fire started and 4.54 p.m. when he finally called to report that he and Jordan had fought the fire themselves. And I also want to come back to how in the middle of nowhere this house was, where it could be up in flames for hours without anyone noticing. But truth be told, there is a house about a half a mile away, which they could have walked to in eight minutes, which is a lot less than fighting a fire for seven hours alone. Jamie Joe told Never Seen Again that despite extensive damage to the home, the family continued living there for some time, which blows my mind because it was a soot-covered disaster. Everything was covered in a black haze, light bulbs looked like they'd melted into icicles from the ceiling fan, windows were cracked, the AC unit was melted, and there was crap everywhere. Jamie Joe emailed DCYF employees Angela and Catherine to inform them about the fire and the suspicious GoFundMe. She never received a response. On November 10th, four days after the fire, Oakville Elementary School principal Jessica went to Oakley's home to bring the family some supplies needed after the fire, staying in the burnt remains of the house for around 45 minutes. When Jessica asked about Oakley, Jordan and Andrew told her that she was in her room for a timeout. 14 days later, Jessica went back to Oakley's home to drop off more supplies, and during her five minute visit this time, Jessica saw three children none of whom was Oakley. Jessica told Never Seen Again that a few days after that second visit, some teachers at the school told her they were concerned that something bad was going on in Jordan and Andrew's house. Jessica took the teacher's concerns seriously and decided to try and gather some more information. After coming up with a game plan, she set up a playdate for her daughter and Oakley's six-year-old sister, Abby. On Saturday, December 4th, two days before what should have been Oakley's fifth birthday, the play date went down. After the girls went swimming, they headed back to Jessica's place, and as they sat on the couch, Abby started talking about how one of her siblings always followed her around. Sensing the perfect opportunity to get more information, Jessica asked, does Oakley do that too? Zero percent of Jessica could have ever been prepared for what Abby said next. Abby looked at Jessica and said, there is no Oakley. Jessica tried to stay calm and asked, what do you mean? But Abby became distraught. She curled up into a ball in the corner of the couch and started shaking. All Jessica could do in that moment was sit next to her and tell her that it would all be okay. She didn't try to push it any further. Jessica told Never Seen Again that the following morning, Abby told Jessica that Oakley had gone back to live with her foster family because she was so bad. That didn't sound right to Jessica, so when she got a free moment, she called the sheriff and asked if Oakley was back with her foster parents. The sheriff said no, she was not. At that point, Jessica knew for sure that something was up, so she asked Jordan if Abby could stay one more night, even though it was a school night, and of course, Jordan said yes. 
The next day, Monday, December 6th, which just so happened to be Oakley's fifth birthday, Jessica and the girls went to school. As soon as classes started, Jessica called the sheriff's office and asked them to conduct a welfare check on Oakley. Jessica told the sheriff's office that Andrew Jordan and their children had temporarily moved into a hotel, and it's unclear when they finally made the move out of the burnt house, but whenever it happened, it was way later than it should have been. At around 10 a.m. that morning, officers made their way to the hotel and made contact with Andrew and Jordan. Officers immediately noticed that Oakley was not in the room. The only child present was two-year-old Aaron. The Chronicle reported that when officers asked Jordan where Oakley was, Jordan told them Oakley is with her mom. The officers followed that up with, aren't you Oakley's mom? Jordan had been caught in a lie and had no other option but to say yes. Officers asked Andrew where Oakley was, but he didn't have an answer. After he was asked a second time, Andrew suddenly knew. He said that she was with his father, Fred, you know, the grandfather that hadn't seen Oakley since Oakley's grandmother called CPS after their Christmas visit. Officers told Andrew they needed Fred's phone number and address, but of course, Andrew initially said that he didn't have either. He didn't have the address nor the phone number of his own parent, whom he'd been with at Christmas 11 months prior. He quickly realized that he, too, was caught in the dumbest lie ever, so he gave the officers the information. Officers called Fred to check on Oakley, but Fred told them that he didn't have her. Then Fred dropped a bombshell on the officers, something we already know, that he hadn't seen Oakley in almost a year. Officers returned to the hotel to talk with Andrew and Jordan, who were immediately separated. When speaking with Andrew, officers informed him that Oakley wasn't with Fred. After hearing that information, Andrew did not act surprised. It was as if he already knew that. Hold your gasps, I know you're shocked. According to a police report, when given the same information, and I quote, Jordan's demeanor was one of anger. She became enraged, yelling, clenching her fists, and refused to answer any further questions about the welfare or well-being of her daughter. She yelled, I'm not going to answer any of your questions, before she went back into the hotel room. The exact opposite of the response you'd expect a mother to have when their daughter is nowhere to be found. As officers left the parking lot, they noticed Jordan and Andrew's vehicle. Although they had three children between the ages of two and six, there was only one car seat installed. Officers stayed nearby to keep an eye on Jordan and Andrew, and at 3.30 p.m., they watched as the couple left the hotel room with two-year-old Aaron. Officers followed them to their burnt house. Once they were all at the house, officers once again spoke with Jordan and Andrew. Jordan was so uncooperative that she was arrested for obstructing a police officer. According to a police report, during Andrew's interview, he reportedly made statements to the effect of Oakley being dead or not coming back for a reunion. He was also booked into jail. Andrew and Jordan were both held on suspicion of first-degree manslaughter. While I would love to be able to sum up Oakley's case in one episode, there is 0% of this that I want to leave out, and it's a case that needs to be covered in its entirety with no stone left unturned. 
Because of that, we'll be picking up right where we left off next Monday. In the meantime, check out Justice for Oakley online and head over to our highlight at the top of my Instagram to look at the photos and videos referenced in this week's episode. We'll be covering the remainder of her case next week, and there is still a lot to go over. For all photos and videos pertaining to this case and updates as they come, check out Oakley's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you enjoy the podcast, feel free to leave a review. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media. All cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. (laughs) 